This is The Podcast Method. I'm Dan Benjamin. I'm going to be answering your questions about podcasting, recording, audio and video equipment, software, mic technique, pre and post production workflows, and more. This is episode number 23. And I'm so glad to be here. I hope you guys are enjoying the show. I get so many emails from you saying, you know what? I started listening from episode one and now I'm finally ready to start my podcast. That's so exciting to me because that's the reason why I'm doing the show. It's I think it's important as a podcaster to think about why you're doing the the show that you're doing. Uh, I mean, think about it for a second. You got into this why to create something that you wanted to do, to to do it for an audience, to get together with your friends and talk about something that you love. It could be any or all of those reasons, but it's important to revisit it for me every single time that I start doing a show. If your show is about providing information to people about podcasting, you know, it's important to kind of go over that in your mind. It sets the right tone. So much of what we do in podcasting is different from uh, from the other kinds of work that we might do if we're developers or designers or, uh, you know, I guess it's closer in a lot of ways uh, to writing uh, in that you're here and you are going to be creating this thing that you hope people listen to. And maybe you want them to laugh. Maybe you want them to learn. It doesn't matter. But keeping that in mind really helps set the tone and the vibe, if you will, for the thing that you're about to create. And I think that can be super important when you know that you have an audience, whether it's an audience of 10 or 10,000 or 100,000, you know that you're communicating with them in a way that's very natural. I think human beings' most natural way of communicating, of course, is the human voice. It's the first thing that we hear as soon as we start developing ears inside the womb. You hear your mother's voice uh, and you know you, you spend your whole life listening to people talk and talking. It's far more natural to speak and listen to the human voice than it is really to, to do almost anything else. And, uh, you know, the, the, the human voice, it's the first external sensation that we ever experience way, way, way before we ever see anything. So keep that in mind that people are hearing your voice in a way that there's a certain kind of connection, perhaps even an, uh, an, an intimate connection between your voice and their brain. And it's direct when it's podcasting. And that puts you in a, in a position where you need to be, I think, pretty aware and pretty conscious of, of what you're doing and what you're saying, because you're connecting with people in a, in a very unique way. So, of course, we want good quality when we record, don't we? We want to make sure that uh, that the audio quality uh, is great. And that's one of the reasons why I go to the extreme here in my setup to try and create the best possible audio situation. Whenever I hear somebody saying, oh, I'm, I'm struggling with such and such a microphone or I'm struggling with the room noise or, uh, or you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out gain staging, which is something that I'll be talking about today, uh, you know, I think people, uh, you know, people are, are struggling because they care. They want to make the best possible audio that they can, the best that they can afford. And that's always been my, my mantra, you know, get the best thing that you can possibly afford. And budget is tough. Uh, ever since having launched Fireside, uh, the, the, in case you haven't heard me rambling about it before, it's the podcast hosting and analytics platform that I've been working on for the last couple of years that, that did launch. And it's at fireside.fm, uh, Ever since launching that, uh, I've gotten so many questions from people, technical questions, saying, yeah, now you've made it easy for me to get the show out there, but it, it doesn't sound great. How can I make it sound better? That's kind of the eternal question in podcasting. The, the answer is simple, but it's not one you might like, and, and it is spend money. People should say, well, I shouldn't have to spend a fortune to podcast. Well, I, I agree. You shouldn't have to. But getting a good microphone is reasonably expensive. And it's your tool. You know, I, I used to know a mechanic and he used to fix, uh, he, he fixed cars in his spare time and he fixed uh, mechanical generators at, at like power plants and other places uh, for his full-time job. And he used snap-on tools. And I had never heard of snap-on before. I was probably 16. Never heard of snap-on before. It sounded, I mean, to be honest, it sounded kind of junky, like snap-on. That sounds junky. And he looked so offended when I said that. And I said, I'm sorry, what, what, what did I just say? And he said, uh, he said, you know, he said, Snap-on makes the best tools in the world. And I said, really? I said, no. Back in, in this time period, which was about 100,000 years ago, Sears had the Craftsman brand, and uh, they did a pretty good job of making tools. And I said, you know, Sears has this Craftsman line, and I said, they have a, a warranty where uh, if it breaks... 
they give you a new one. That's how confident they are about it. And I said, what does Snap-on have? And he says, Snap-on tools don't break. And I thought that was pretty cool, and I investigated Snap-on, and yep, that's what all the mechanics use. That's what all the people who are serious about their tool setups used. And then I started to notice these Snap-on trucks driving around town, and I'd never really noticed them before, and they're still around. And everyone that I know that's serious about doing that kind of mechanical work, they still use Snap-on. And he spent a lot. I said, uh, he said, look at, look at this, uh, look at this wrench. And I looked at it and he said, how much do you think that is? I, I don't remember. I said 20 bucks. He said, it's $200, whatever it was. It was a crazy amount. It was way more than I ever would have imagined it would have been. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, but why? He said, because this is, I, I know that I can trust this wrench. It will, you know, it will always work. It will never have a problem. Uh, it, it is the best that you can get. And this is what I do. And I take pride in what I do. And I use the best tools that I can. So I'm not telling you go and spend, you know, 300 bucks on a, on a microphone today. Although you get a pretty good microphone for 300 bucks. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm saying is buy the best thing that you can afford. People often say, well, it's a hobby and I don't have any budget for a hobby. Okay, that's a fair point. But if you go fishing, I've said this before, if you go fishing, you got to get a rod, you got to get a reel, you got to get a tackle box, you got to get hooks, you got to get sinkers, you got to get all your lines, you got to get all this stuff. And by the way, you're going to need something to eat while you're out there. So you got to go stop by the, the barbecue place on your way out there and get something you know, to eat because you got to eat while you're out there. And you know what? The sun's going to be shining, so you need some sunglasses and you might need a hat to put the lures on or in case it rains or in case you lose your sunglasses in the, in the water or something. And, you know, you're going to have to put gas in the car to go out there. You might need something to read. You should go get a new book on your Kindle or if you're just uh, old-fashioned, go pick up a magazine or a real book. And you know what? You're going to need that leather glove because sometimes when the fish whip around when you pull them out of the water. You see where I'm going with this? Is that you're going to spend money on something that you enjoy. If you look at a podcast as something that is supposed to make you money or you look at a podcast as something that is supposed to be free. Well, who, who said it's supposed to be free? You don't have to pay money to listen to a podcast. You don't have to pay money to create a podcast. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, you do because you need tools. You need tools to do that. If you want to go home tonight and make dinner, obviously you need to get the food, but you, you already have this stuff probably that you need to make it, you've got the saucepan, you've got the spoons, you've got the knives, you've got the cutting board. So you don't think of those as things that you had to buy to perform that task of cook dinner. But to perform the task of podcast, make a podcast, you need to buy stuff. The important thing is that you get the thing that's going to be right for you. And you say, well, I only podcast once a week. I'm not sure if it's going to get an audience, so I don't want to go and spend a lot of money. That's fine. But remember, if you get that something above entry level. If you get that little bit nicer of a microphone, a little bit nicer of a thing, then you won't have to replace it for a lot longer. And it's going to make your whole experience better. Really, that was the premise behind uh, building Fireside is that I, I wanted to build in everything that you would need to like publish a show so that you wouldn't need to go to multiple places and spend a whole bunch of money other places. I'm not pushing you toward Fireside, but I'm saying that Think of that when you're, when you're getting the stuff that you need. You don't go out and buy the cheapest car there is. You buy the best car you can afford. The cheapest car there is is probably pretty junky and might not be the safest car around. So you're going to go and you're going to get the best car that you can afford for the money. And that's what I say when it comes to getting equipment because equipment is the answer. That's how your show will sound better. Your show will sound better. More people will listen if it sounds better. These are, these are facts. This is everything that I've seen since starting the podcast in 2007, 6, 7. The better your podcast sounds, the more approachable it will be to your audience. Okay, let's jump in and answer some questions. Frank Ramblings, at Frank Ramblings on Twitter, says, Is it appropriate? to promote a referral slash affiliate code on podcasts if you make it clear that it's not a sponsor. Now, I've answered this question uh, kind of indirectly, I think, in the past. I absolutely love 
the concept of referral and affiliate codes because it's a great call to action for your listeners to support you in a way that benefits them. So for example, I was just talking about microphones and saying, here's some good ones. I will put a few good microphones that I think are are entry-level plus, we'll call them, into the show notes for this episode. The show notes are going to be at 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash 23. So if you go there and you click those links, well, they will, uh, they will give me a tiny little kickback on Amazon or wherever. If you go to podcastmethod.co, you'll see the list of all the gear and stuff that I recommend. And yeah, there's a lot of affiliate links right there. I think, though, what Frank is asking is, if you have something like, let's say I'm recommending someone go register a domain name somewhere, and I say, use this affiliate code, yes, I think that's perfectly fine. What I don't believe you should do is, I don't believe you should say, this episode is brought to you by, and then use your affiliate code. Because technically, you're not being 100% truthful. And if I was that company... If I was the person running that company whose affiliate code you were uh, mentioning and saying that I sponsored your show, wait a minute, no, I didn't. And that, that as a company owner would, I wouldn't like that. I would say, please don't do that. Because a sponsorship in a way is something that a company has to do. They're, they're, they're more or less like agreeing to work with you. They're saying, we picked you and we're giving you money to sponsor, to do this ad on your show. That's so different from saying, hey, help support the show by going here and signing up and using this code. Very different. So I think, I think as long as you're clear, as Frank indicates, as long as you're clear that that is not a sponsor, then I say absolutely. And I know people who make a good deal of money just on their referral and affiliate codes. Uh, a great deal of money doing just that. A friend of mine who runs a very popular website uh, that talks about like cool gear for guys. At one point he told me that about a quarter to a third of their revenue, which was considerable came from uh, affiliate links. So it's possible to make a decent amount of money with that through uh, podcasting as well. I would imagine. So yes, I think that's a wonderful way to make money. I think as long as you're clear about that, that the relationship, I, I am always a little bit frustrated when I hear someone on a, uh, on a podcast say, this episode is brought to you by, and then actually no money was exchanged. It's not really brought to you by, or when they, they, um, when they claim that a charity that somehow they say, oh, well, you know, uh, our first sponsor today is this charity, go and donate over here. It's not really a sponsor. You're encouraging people to donate to a charity. I think that's wonderful. I think that's amazing. But the charity is not giving you money. They're not writing you a check. So don't call it a sponsor. <laughs> Just say what it is. Say, we're not doing a sponsor because instead we want you to go donate to this charity. Just be clear, be direct. Your audience will trust you. Your audience cares. And building that trust relationship with your audience is huge. Keith Monaghan says, what are the most important tweaks I can make in post-production regardless of what software I use? I think it's a great question because where do you start, right? You've recorded something and you understand you're supposed to like edit it and make it sound better. But what, what do you, what do you do? What do you, like, where, where do you start? The first and most important thing that you can do, in my opinion, is make sure that the levels of the multiple people that are on your show, whether it's one person and then it's easy to do, but if, if there's two people or more, however many, their levels have to be the same. What does that mean? Let's say that you've got three different people and they're all in three different locations on three different kinds of microphones. Uh, what, do you, what do you expect to get back when you get their audio back? Do you expect that they're all going to be identical, equal level? No, and in fact, even if they're all on the same microphone, Recording it in the same exact way, their levels are going to be different. Why? Because different mic technique. Because everybody's voice is a little bit different. Tons of reasons. You need to say, okay, person A, 
I actually have to bring their levels down a little, which seems like the wrong idea. But you might have to bring somebody's level down and bring another person's level up, a couple people's level up maybe, to get everything sounding equal and level and the same volume. It is the wor- my, my biggest pet peeve, and I often hear people complaining about this, is when you have more than one person on a show, which is typical, and one person's really loud and the other person's quiet, and you're just dread when that other person talks because you've got to like turn your microphone down. Yeah, I mean, turn your headphones down really fast while you're listening. That's the worst. No one wants to hear that. So it's your job to level those things out. Every, uh, every editing tool has a different way of doing this, but usually there's something called a level that you can adjust per track. That's why it's so important to record people on individual tracks, like I've always said. Then you can bring one person down, bring the other person up. Well, then you might be saying to yourself, why don't I just bring everybody up to that one level then? If this person's loud, I'll just make the other people louder because this can introduce some noise. This can introduce, uh, bring, it can bring noise that maybe wasn't there, whether it's artificial electrical noise through the, through the bumping process. Maybe there was a sound in the background that you couldn't hear, but maybe boosting their level too much, uh, changes the, the quality of their voice. I actually recommend kind of picking a middle, a middle space between the quietest person and the loudest person and bringing everyone to that, to that level. What you can also do is you can use uh, tools, which we talked about in the early days of Podcast Method, in the earlier episodes, like, um, like compression. Compression is wonderful because what it does is it takes the highest levels and squashes them down a little bit and the lowest levels and bumps them up a little bit so that what you wind up getting is a relatively even tone so that somebody who goes to start talking louder even if they're talking louder, their volume doesn't increase. It keeps them more quiet. And if they're speaking very quietly, it boosts them. And it's not perfect. It's certainly not perfect. But it gives you a much more consistent, even level across the way. You can also look at something called normalization. But, uh, and, and of course, there are tools that do this. There's one called the levelator that I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the levelator because it, it, it can take kind of a... I don't know. I've, I've heard mixed results with the Levelator. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And there are plenty of other tools. I think there are online tools uh, that you can use uh, that, that, that I'll put in the show notes too, that you, allow, you can upload your audio file and it will sort of process it and turn it uh, and, and make, make the final overall mix a bit more balanced. But I think that is the, the most important thing. Now, you can also get, if you want to get fancy with it, you can start equalizing stuff. Logic, Pro Tools, um, and I think uh, GarageBand has decent tools for, uh, for getting in there and digging in and equalizing the sound. What does that mean? That means if somebody ha- is in a boomy room and their voice is kind of bassy, you want to crank it down. If they're a little too high-pitched or scratchy, you can bring it down. That, I'm not even talking about removing noise. Uh, Adobe Audition has some good tools for removing background noise. I'm just talking about the tone of their voice, uh, shaping it based on how close they were to the microphone. If you get too close to the microphone, your voice will sound different than if you're a bit too far away from the microphone. So just that little adjustment right there, you can compensate a lot for that by putting some EQ on somebody's voice. Um, If somebody comes in and they're talking on less expensive headphones, maybe they have you know, like the almost gaming headphones or something with like a USB mic or something on it. They're not going to sound good, but you can do a lot to improve that by, uh, by just slightly tweaking the EQ on their track. You don't want everyone to sound the same, but, uh, but you definitely want to, to balance out their tone. Keep in mind, people, a lot of people are listening to the podcast in their car. So if you're listening on tiny little headphones and you're like, well, there isn't enough bass in that voice. I'm going to bump that up. Keep in mind that it's going to sound terrible in somebody's car where they probably have the the bass turned up a little bit anyway. So just keep that in mind. Again, that's why I always recommend having good headphones for uh, for recording and and mixing your audio with, Uh, you know, everyone has their own opinions about headphones. I really like the Sony Dynamic Stereo headphones, the MDR 7506s. Um, they're not cheap. They're about a hundred bucks, but they've got a pretty good even response. And for, for editing a show, it's gonna, uh, it's gonna give you, it's pretty much the industry standard for, uh, for reference headphones. Just keep that in mind. If you're editing 
using your, you know, like your iPhone headphones, you're going to hear something very different than what a lot of other people are going to be hearing. My first sponsor today is HelloFresh. HelloFresh wants to change the way people eat forever because they believe everyone deserves honest, natural, delicious, healthy food. I've tried this thing out. They sent me their, uh, their box of food. And I'll tell you what, it actually delivers on, on their mission. I was surprised. I mean, I was a little skeptical. Really? You're going to like send me some food, but it really works. They send you exactly the food that you need to make the meals and their meals are wonderful. And the, they actually turn out just like the pictures that are on these recipe cards that they send you. Yeah, I was very skeptical because like, I don't, I'm not like in the cooking, but how many times you get home from work and you're like, I want to cook something, but I don't know what to do. I don't feel like going to the grocery store. I'm not going to go and find some recipe. They take care of all of that for you. They send you these great recipes. They send you exactly the fresh, wholesome ingredients that you need all planned out. And then they tell you how to make it. And what you make actually turns out to look and be wonderful. It's like eating at a restaurant, but you made it. You take pride in because you made it yourself. They make it uh, easier, tastier, and healthier than ever to enjoy the experience of cooking new recipes and eating together at home. They just make it easy to do that. They've got a classic box, just like a variety of things that changes each week. They've got a veggie box, and they're coming out with a family box. You can get three, four, five different meals per week designed for either two or four people. And it just, it makes it so easy. I love it. And uh, it, it totally changed my game up at home too. Here's what you can do. You can go to HelloFresh, HelloFresh.com. Enter podcast method, one word, when you sign up and you'll get $35 off your first week of deliveries. So this is a way to improve the quality of your own life, your own eating. So we all want to eat in a more healthy way, right? And you can support the show by doing it all at the same time. It's magic. HelloFresh.com. 35 bucks off your first week using the code podcast method. Thank you very much. Hello, fresh. We appreciate it. Joshua Longbreak, who is, uh, has the same name on Twitter says, do you see your co-hosts on your Skype calls? Do you also record video or is it audio only? Wonderful question. Uh, a lot of people, even though they might be producing an audio only show, when they do a Skype, uh, call with that person, they might, do video so that they can see each other and that way they can they can kind of get a visual cue from the other person are they happy are they sad are they laughing um my personal take on this is you should do that if you like that if that's comfortable for you there are a lot of people who prefer to podcast in the comfort of their home and a lot of time they're not really presentable I think podcasting uh, is one of those businesses where uh, a lot of the people doing it are in their pajamas. So uh, there's a lot of people who you'll get pushback from. If you say, oh, I always run video. Like, oh, you, you, you do? Okay, well then I let me go get a quick shower before we do this. I think that's, if, if it helps you, if it makes you feel more connected to the person you're talking to, then by all means, you should do that. Uh, I used to do that extensively, but at the time I was also producing video versions of all the shows that I was doing. So in the early days of five by five, I'm talking about like 2009, uh, I had a couple shows where we did video. The conversation was one of those shows where everybody was on video and I was doing, um, video switching using Wirecast and I had little custom, you know, backgrounds. I had little lower thirds. I had the whole, I had the works. I and was like doing a little TV show and I was, I would talk on the show and I would also do the video switching and monitor the, the audio with my Mackie mixer and uh, ride the ride the faders. And it was um, very, very tough to do all of that at once. And, uh, and, but it was a lot of fun. And in that case, yes, we were, we were recording the video and we were actually making a video podcast as well and releasing that. But I don't think that, uh, I don't think that it's necessary if you're talking to the same person week after week after week, you kind of get a sense for that person and it becomes like a, more like a phone call where you don't get to see them. But you know, now what N nowadays if phone calls are, they're all on Skype anyway, they're all on FaceTime anyway. So if it's more natural for you to do the video, 
then then do it, but just make sure that you're still getting a really good recording of the audio. Here's why. A lot of the time when you're doing a video call, systems like FaceTime and Skype will uh, they will attenuate the audio and video quality so that it's maybe not the best audio because you're running into bandwidth limitations. So keep that in mind. That might be a situation where you would want to do a double-ender style recording where each of you is recording the audio on your own side as well as, uh, as, well as a backup reference recording in something like Skype, Ecamm call recorder. I still get asked a lot, a lot. Dan, do you use uh, do you use Call Recorder? And I'll have a link to Call Recorder in the show notes. And I don't. I I never use Call Recorder. I I don't want to say I never have used it. I mean, I have in in certain situations, but typically I won't use it because I have a, a different setup. I have a different philosophy. My goal is to record everybody uh, who I talk to, whether it's one or two or three other people, on individual tracks. So I actually have a dedicated computer. I have an old Mac Mini plugged into the mixer that I use, which is an Apollo. Uh, and I'll put that in the show notes too. Uh, but uh, they are connected into that and I'm sending the signal in and out to them over, uh, over through, through the mixer and then into this dedicated computer where I have a Skype call. Now you could say, well, if it's only one other person, how is that so different from just using Ecamm call recorder? Well, in a way, it is. In a way, it isn't. I'll tell you the way that it is. Is Everybody runs through this mixer, and I have all of their settings in line on this mixer. I have, for example, uh, inline compression. There is some uh, de-essing going on. There's a noise gate to help block out the noise. And all of this stuff is stuff that, that's built in. I, again, I recommend the DBX 286S as an inexpensive one of these things to, 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 you, to use if you want to do your local audio and your local microphone. But if you have a remote person, you can actually send them through a DBX2 or you can get some of, these other, uh, some of these other audio input devices like I have, like the Apollo, which lets you do them in line as a DSP. So uh, they're basically plugins that you enable and you can do all of this. And why, why do I do this? so that I don't have to edit it, so that I don't have to really do any post-production. I no longer have to do any kind of post-production except in extreme cases on people that I talk to. I hit record. And if, you know, if, the, if we lose each other on Skype or there's a, you know, some kind of pterodactyl flying through the room that we have to edit out, yes, we'll do that. But I am not doing any post-production on any of the tracks. I don't do any. I don't remove noise. I don't shift things around. I, none of that nonsense. My post-production time is incredibly minimal, even on highly complicated shows, because I put all this stuff up front. And why? Because I spent money on it. I got fed up of spending hours and hours and hours in post-production. Why? Because the shows would never air. Because I would say, you know what? I've got to edit this show. I don't really feel like spending an hour editing a show or 30 minutes or four hours. I want to hit record and produce it and have it be edited while I'm recording. Edit while you record. And that is pretty much what, what these plugins, noise gates, and other things that are very simple, that don't change the quality or the sound of the audio, they just, they just help preserve it. That's what these things do, and they mean, that means I don't have to do anything when I'm done, except you know drop in the music, edit out, you know, the drop Skype call and I'm done. My second sponsor today is Squarespace. I've been using Squarespace forever and ever and ever and ever for a whole bunch of different sites. And you can do so much with Squarespace. It doesn't matter what kind of site you want to build. Are you a, are you a recording artist and you want to put up your latest album? Do you take photos and you want an image gallery? Are you getting married and you want a place to put your you know, fancy engagement photos? Do you just have a kid and you want to do a website for them? Is your sister applying to college uh, to, to jobs after college and you want to set up an awesome resume site for her? And you name it, you can do it. They even have built-in e-commerce so you can run a whole store. We did that for a while when we were selling magnets and t-shirts and mugs. It was all done through Squarespace and they make shipping stuff even easier because they have this like shipping computational thing so they can put in their address and it'll, it'll tell them, oh, you're buying a mug and a magnet and a t-shirt that goes in this size box. It costs this much money to ship and that way they're actually paying what it really costs to ship stuff. It's amazing. Sites, they're professionally designed regardless of your skill level, no coding required. 
The tools are easy to use and intuitive and get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Have you seen those cool John Malkovich uh, ads about how he's using Squarespace and the, uh, the, the, the funny one where, some, where JohnMalkovich.com is taken? That ad is hilarious. I love what they're doing. They're uh, a company that is really on the cutting edge, and, uh, and I like them a lot. I've used them for years. You can get a discount, 10% off your first purchase, and show your support for the show by going to squarespace.com. And when you sign up, use the code podcast method and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's squarespace.com. Podcast method is the code to use for 10% off. Thank you so much to Squarespace for making this show possible. Mike Gottman, hope I'm pronouncing that right, asks, I'm, uh, he, he asked me some questions about gain staging. And he says, I'm having a hard time figuring out mixer versus preamp ratios. I keep running into static noise floor that seems too high. Let me explain what all of this means because it's, it's obvious. Is it Mick? I hope I got your name right. I'm sorry. Uh, what, what he's talking about here there. Okay. So f- first of all, let me take a step back and explain what gain staging is. For people who aren't audio nerds, uh, and may not have heard the term gain or gain staging. In, in audio engineering, a gain, gain is essentially the level. I don't want to say volume because technically it's not, but it's, it's the level of a signal, really. And so a gain stage is a specific point during this flow of the, the audio signal's flow where you can make an adjustment. And so gain staging is how you manage those different levels in a series of gain stages. The goal being to eliminate background noise and things like that, or or, or adjust to prevent the introduction of noise. And so in a traditional setup, you would have a microphone and the microphone is plugged into some kind of a preamp uh, and, uh, and or directly into a mixer. And then the mixer is going into whatever recording device you'd be using. So there are different points where the gain has to be set. And in most situations, you have some kind of a preamp for that microphone and you're not going straight into the mixer. There's times you can go into the mixer and that's fine if that's what you're doing. But in a traditional audio recording setup, you're going in first into a preamp. The preamp isn't just going to power the microphone, if you will, or boost the signal of the microphone to something that's recordable to what's called a line level recording because microphones have much less output than what you want to record, which is line level. Uh, And we won't talk about balance and unbalanced stuff today. It's out of the scope of this. But where where you wind up is you wind up with a – uh, uh, several different points where you can increase the gain. And if you increase the gain too much, you get this effect where noise starts to be introduced. And then the, that noise can be further boosted by the next thing that's going to introduce, uh, that, that's going to introduce additional gain. So the question is basically, where do I turn the, the, the gain knob the most? And unfortunately there isn't a simple, straightforward answer to that. My general take on it is I like to have the initial microphone preamp generate most of the gain and then on the mixer side do as little as I have to do to maintain that uh, that line level signal. Um, and, and so I, this might not make a lot of sense to you if you haven't actually used these devices or looked at these things. But what I'm basically saying is if you've, if you've gotten, a, I've recommended a bunch of microphones to people, whether it's the Heil PR40, the Shure SM7, uh, or, uh, or the Telefunken, uh, M80, um, that, that I'm using now, all of these microphones being dynamic microphones, they're excellent at picking up the human voice and just the human voice. They're not picking up the rest of the room noise. They're not picking up other things going on in the background. That's what a dynamic mic is, is great for, and that's why they're used so much in radio and now podcasting. Versus a condenser mic, it's going to pick up everything. It'll give you more of that warm, live sound, but it's going to pick up you know, the dog barking three doors down. So when you have, uh, when you have these dynamic microphones, they require a lot of gain 
because their signal, their output is much, much, much lower than that of like a condenser mic. So what that means is you need to give them a lot of gain just to pick up the human voice at all. And I've had people say, Dan, I got that microphone that you recommended and it's plugged into to my mixer, but I have to have all of the gains turned all the way up on the preamp of the mixer. I don't have any headroom beyond that. And it barely picks up the signal and I'm having to boost it in Pro Tools, in Logic, in GarageBand, just to get it to so people can even hear it. What am I doing wrong? You're not doing anything wrong and your microphone's not defective at all. That's the way that it's intended to be. It requires a lot of gain. So when you're shopping around for a microphone, be sure to look at what gain it requires. And keep in mind that when it requires that amount of gain, if it says it needs 55 dB of gain, that means just to record anything at all. That means just to get a sound out of it. So if your preamp ends at 50 or 60, you're not going to be able to boost that thing enough. You're going, I'm sorry, if you're, if you're mixer, you're going to need a preamp. Now, uh, a lot of more modern DSP type devices like the Apollo, they, they, they have a preamp built in and it's a really good preamp. But it's something that you're going to need to investigate and something that you're going to need to consider when you're, when you're deciding what mic to get. Dan Wonderlick, I hope I'm saying that right. Sorry, I'm so bad at names. Dan asks, tips or gear for handling the switch to USB-C, especially if your digital audio interface is FireWire 800? Wow, Dan, that is a really tough question. You know, we've seen Apple kind of driving the audio recording industry for many, many years. And, uh, you know, we've seen them change their the standard inputs that they, they have on their computers. For a long time, the push was, for audio devices was FireWire. FireWire 400, then 800. 800 being even better because you could have so many discrete channels of audio coming through it from your mixer. So for a long time, the standard for mixing companies was, well, we'll we will build a FireWire mixer. And you can record tons and tons and tons and tons of channels and do a whole bunch of other things. And so that was the standard for a very long time. Most Mackie mixers, which they dominated for a long time, and I recommended them for a long time, were all FireWire. The Apollos, for a while, were FireWire. Uh, And then what happened? Apple said, no, FireWire? Well, what are you talking about? We have this cool thing called Thunderbolt, and uh, you can get this little dongle that'll convert from your old-fashioned FireWire into Thunderbolt. And everyone said, oh, good, good. And I actually even saw manufacturers coming out saying that their mixers were Thunderbolt, even though the the interface on them was FireWire and they would just put an adapter in the box. But they were calling them Thunderbolt mixers. Now where's Thunderbolt? It's gone or going away, right? We have USB. We're all about USB-C now. So what do you do about that? Do you you adapt again? Do you go from USB... Uh, C to to FireWire. Can you do such a thing? And uh, and the answer is y- yes. The answer is yes. You can go from uh, from USB C to FireWire and and everything in between. And there are all kinds of very strange conversions. And uh, actually, hold on, let me. So the answer is yes. Apple does sell some adapters that could maybe work. For this, you can get a dock, and there are a number of docks that uh, that convert FireWire into Thunderbolt, because I'm not really a fan of daisy-chaining adapters. But still, then you're going to need to plug that Thunderbolt into the Thunderbolt 3, which is USB-C to Thunderbolt 2 adapter. It, it gets crazy. It can be done. But I don't recommend it. What do I recommend? Unfortunately, stick with your old old computer hardware or get new audio hardware. It kind of sucks. But this is the position that Apple puts people in whenever they decide to change their interface. I'm not upset or bitter about it. I don't care. I'm content to record using my old machine. This this audio right now is being recorded on an old Mac Mini. It's probably five years old. It has a Thunderbolt port on it, and that plugs into my Apollo mixer, which is FireWire. So FireWire to Thunderbolt adapter into the Mac Mini, hit record, done. I can record tons and tons and tons and tons of tracks on this. But what do you do if you happen to have a new computer and you're relying on it? Well, guess what? You chose to get the new computer. You have to, you have to upgrade your audio gear or you can try the daisy chain dance. 
And uh, there are more and more of these docks that are coming out that will go from, you know, USB-C, essentially, which is what they're, you know, in, in, into something else. And you can try it. They do have, I'll put some in the show links. But there is, uh, there are, there is a device that I found from OWC coming out in March that is supposed to work this way. So I'll put that in the show notes so you can see what you think. And then if you try it, let me know. But, you know, audio gear and moving forward, there's a lot of really great USB-C audio gear that's coming out. Stuff to consider, stuff to look at. BizTalkTX asks, where can I try out microphones? I live in Kerrville. Is there a place you'd recommend? Thank you for asking the question, where can I try out microphones? I have never seen a place that will let you go and try them out. There are places that will let you rent a microphone. So you can go in there and look at their usually pretty limited, pretty beat up collection of microphones. And it's the same place you would go if you were putting on some kind of stage production or something like that. You don't want to go and buy a dozen microphones. You want to go and say, all right, I need, I need, you know, I need five or six microphones. I need them for three days and I'm done with them. So you can rent them, but that's not, they're not going to give you the same kind of, uh, the same kind of a feeling as, as it would to go and really try all the microphones that you want. I have yet to see a place that's going to have a Shure SM7B and a Heil and a, you know, an SM58, etc., all in one place for you to try. So what can you do? You can buy them from Amazon and return them, although to me that doesn't sit well. I don't like doing that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's not like there's great places that have camera lenses or you can rent a lens for a week because renting a lens isn't disgusting. But like a microphone, let's be honest, like you're spitting into it. Come on. We're all adults here. You're spitting into the microphone. You're talking into the microphone. It's right up by your face. You don't really want to like use someone else's used a thousand time used microphone, do you? Well, maybe you do. Maybe you don't care. But it, you need to spend time with the microphone to really get a feel for it. And unfortunately, no two people that I've ever met really agree on how a microphone sounds. That's why I don't often trust microphone reviews that I read, even, you know, even from people who know audio, I don't, I don't trust them. They can't say this microphone is better than this other microphone. It's just too tough to do it. What they can say is I'm looking at, because every microphone comes with this little chart that shows you its dynamic range and things like that. What you can say is, on paper, this one has a better dynamic range than this other one. This one picks this kind of sound up better than this other one. That, that is all straightforward. What you can't do is you can't say, this microphone sounds better for everyone's voice than this other microphone. What you can say is, I tried these 10 microphones and I liked the sound of my voice through this one the best. And that's why you want to try them. What, what my advice for you to do is to try to listen to other people who have a good audio recording setup, who can, uh, whose voice is similar to yours. Listen to them through the microphone that they're using. It's going to be tough because their post-production or in, in the case of preamps and stuff, it's all going to be different. It's all going to be different. If you took this microphone that I have, the Telefunken uh, M80, and I talked through this with a different preamp, I would sound different. Is that the, my fault or the M80's fault? No, it's the preamp. The preamp is going to add some color to the sound of, of my voice. If I went and recorded in a different studio on a different microphone with the same preamp that I'm on now, I would sound different. There are so many different variables there. And unfortunately, there is no easy answer. But here's what you can know. What you can know is if you get a good microphone, one that's highly regarded, one that's been well-reviewed, one that's proved itself in the audio industry, if you go with a microphone like that, you're not going to be making a mistake. I can tell you that I've had over my um, my podcasting career since 2007, I've had maybe four or five different microphones that I've used extensively. And the first one was a Samson condenser microphone. The second one was a Shure SM7B. Uh, the third one was a Heil PR40. 
and now the Telefunken M80. I'm leaving out a few in there that I experimented with. And this progression, all of, all of those mics were great mics. The Samson USB was very much an entry-level mic. It was all I could afford at the time. But when I moved up to the Shure SM7, that was a microphone I had done a lot of research about. Uh, I knew that it was used in, in studios and for recording extensively. And from a lot of people I heard recommendations, they gave me recommendations from. And it is a great microphone. And it is the microphone that my co-host Hattie Cook uses on all, all, all of the stuff that she records. It's very, very well suited to her voice. Uh, you, you may have, I've read that it was used for Michael Jackson to record Thriller. I don't know if that's true, but I've read that in multiple places. Robin Quivers of Howard Stern's show fame uh, uses that mic exclusively when their budget is unlimited and she could use any microphone in the whole world. That's the one that she used for many, many years. And I, I believe may still use because it suits her voice. It did not suit my voice. And I didn't know that until I tried a different microphone and realized, whoa, I, I think I sound much better than this other microphone. So what do I mean by when I say I sound better? I mean, I sound more like me to me. <laughs> if you hear yourself back and you say, oh, I can't stand the sound of my voice, chances are you're hearing it, uh, you're, you're hearing something that's either what you really sound like and you've just got to deal with it, or you're, you, the way you identify with your voice is being colored by uh, the microphone or the preamp or something like that. But again, there's so many variables in there that it's impossible to identify which is which. And you really need to come up with a recording situation that is the combination of your own mic technique, the microphone that you're using, the cables that you're using, the preamp that you're using, the mixer that you're using, all of these add color to the sound. So it's not as simple as you need that microphone. But I started seeing people using the Heil PR40 more. And uh, I got one and I liked it. And I thought my voice sounded much better through that than the Shure SM7. And I used the Heil PR40 for many, many years. And in fact, I got a several for the studio and Hattie was using one of those. And whenever I had guests in the studio, they were using those. And they're wonderful microphones. But then one of the listeners to one of my shows, uh, he, who is an audio engineer, he went to uh, uh, the NAM con uh, convention that they have a couple times a year, and he sent me a message. He'd already provided some cool tips and things that I could use to improve the audio. And he came back and said, oh, Dan, you, I have just gotten to try the Telefunken M80 at NAM, and it blew me away for you. Because he's like a diehard listener, knew my voice, knew all the shows, been listening for years. Said you've got, you need to go get this microphone. And I said, well, I, I like the PR forties. No, better than the PR forty for you. And I said, okay, you know what? Fine, I'll try it. There's a return policy, so I ordered it and got it in. And he was right; it sounded much better. If you're hearing me right now, and then you were to meet me. This is pretty much what I sound like. And for me, for my voice, this is doing a better job than the amazing PR40, which did a better job than the amazing Shure SM7B. So, yeah, you need to try different microphones, but there's no easy way to do it. And that, that kind of stinks. So talk to your friends. See if they'll let you use their microphone. See if they'll let you come and record in their setup. See if you can borrow one. See if there is a place in town that rents them out. That's the best you can do other than taking that leap and buying one and plugging it in and trying it out. Vincent Racaniello, who is at ProFVRR on Twitter, asks, I have new ideas for podcasts, but I'm told I will dilute my listeners with more shows. Thoughts? Oh, I have lots of thoughts on this, Vincent. If I could go back in time and have just done one show where I had lots of different uh, guests and co-hosts, things like that on there, but just done one show for myself and, and really built that show up, I, I think that might have been a better way for, for me to have gone. But the flip side of that is that show might not have been for everyone. And I wouldn't have had the wonderful opportunities that I've had to record with so many different people 
and each of those shows having their own distinct and unique audience. I really enjoy the one-on-one shows that I do with people, and I would never want to change anything about those experiences that I've had. They've been really great, and I've been really lucky and, and continue to be lucky to do these, these shows with people that I admire so much. But it is absolutely true that doing more shows, and there was one point where I was doing a couple shows a day, absolutely does dilute your audience because time, listening time, is limited. I only have a certain amount of time when I'm in the car or getting ready for work or walking the dog or running on a treadmill or whatever it is. Your listeners only have a limited amount of time to listen to things. And they're going to have to make choices. And if you come out with a new show, they might have to make a decision between that new show and the old show from you that they listen to because they're already making choices between those shows and other shows that are are in abundance that they could be listening to as well. So what I say is put all of your time and effort and energy into doing the one show that you're doing and make it incredible. Anytime somebody comes to me and says, well, I have five shows. If those five shows don't have big audiences, then you're doing too many. If you're doing a show that's getting 50,000 downloads and you want to do another show, go for it. But if each of your shows only has a few thousand downloads or less, and that's still great in today's, uh, today's podcast marketplace, then you should be building those shows up, making them better, focusing on them. Find a way to weave that other topic idea that you think you have for a different show. Find a way to weave it into your original show to make it better. Bring a bigger audience into that show. And, and don't, don't shortchange yourself. You can do that. You can add elements to the show to keep it interesting for yourself. But don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't try new things. I'm not saying don't try to do some other show that you have an idea for. You, you should. You should explore it because it, that might be the one that, that does get big. That might be the next big thing. But just keep in mind that the more shows you do, the more time you're going to be spending in pre-production and recording and post-production. And eventually the show quality will start to decline on all of the shows. But just keep that in mind when you make a decision to try something new. Now, before we close out today's show, I want to do something special for you guys as listeners. If, you, uh, if you're interested in trying out Fireside, there's already a seven-day free trial, but I'm going to give you guys a discount. The discount is going to be uh, 20% off for your first three months, and the code you're going to use is one word, podcast method. So if you go to fireside.fm, sign up there with the code podcast method, you'll get 20% off your first three months because I want you to try it. If you're happy somewhere else, that fine, that stay. But if you want to see what else there is out there, or if you're unhappy, or if you're just curious, check it out, import your podcast from wherever it lives, import it. That's all free. Import your podcast and see what Fireside has to offer. It's something I've been working really, really hard on for couple years of my life and i think you might like it so to get you to try it free seven day trial 20 percent off with the code podcast method at fireside.fm thanks i'll see you next time